You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. I guess I just opened us in prayer. What an awesome time to be together tonight to celebrate what God is doing here at our church, from our church, for the city, and to the world. And thanks for making a party to be back here tonight. Uh, Because what we talk about here, what we celebrate here, what we sing about here is of most eternal importance. And that's why we really do believe that it is worth our lives. Uh, What God is doing in this church, I grew up in Tallahassee. I lived here since 1990. And I've seen a lot of great churches, a lot of great works of God over the years here. Uh, I truly have never seen anything like this before. That's not to undermine anything else that's ever happened before. But what we're experiencing, and I have other pastors tell me this, and an encouragement towards us really is unprecedented in our city. And we don't, we don't boast in that. We put our faith in Jesus. Like, he's the one that doesn't let us down. He's the one we look to. But I bring that up to say that we've been really kind of given the ball, you could say, uh, in this moment. Not just us. It takes all of us, all the church in town to do this. But we've really been given the baton. Uh, I've had their pastors say things to me like, we need a strong city church in Tallahassee. We are praying for you guys. Like, we, we need you guys to keep going forward. And I want all of us to take that seriously. And take the responsibility we've been given as a local church in Tallahassee, not in a pressure kind of way. We don't think it's up to us. The Lord's the one that does the work. We believe that he and his grace and his sovereignty has kind of passed a baton to us for this season. And we want to capitalize on it. To reach and disciple and send as many people as possible from this church for this city and to the world. And this is a testimony of what God is doing here. To see over 2,000 people at our church this morning is just crazy. And I'm thankful for it because it means people are coming here to hear the word, to connect with others, to engage in our next generation ministries. And it's what Jesus promised would happen when he said that he would build his church. And he continues to do it all around the world. Matthew chapter 16 is where I'm going to read tonight from. And then it has some comments about this in the context of let's go and what God has laid upon our hearts uh, to keep going forward and why it matters. And why this is actually worth our time, worth our thoughts, worth our prayers, worth our resources, worth our attendance, all of it. We see this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The Son of Man, a term Jesus would use for himself. They replied, they gave the scoop, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus narrowed in, said, okay, but you, y'all who have been with me, he asked them, who do you say that I am? What a question. Maybe that's an important question anyone will ever answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are actually the one you claim to be. You're the one that's been promised to us. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the liberator of God's people. You are the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's saying all those things in that confession. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Again, we don't get credit for this stuff. God gets all the glory. He's the one that does the work in our hearts, in our minds, for his church. He says, but my Father in heaven, he's the one who allows you to believe this in his grace. I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, meaning his confession of Christ, I will build my church. And not only that, he makes this promise. And the gates of Hades, or gates of hell, some translations say, will not overpower it. So we see two things there. We see a confession of who Christ is, and we see a promise from Jesus of what he is going to do. A confession of who he is, 
and a promise of what he's going to do. We see doctrine and we see mission. Unless we have a clear confession about the name and person and work of Jesus Christ, none of the things we're doing matters. None of the plan matters. None of this whole entire church being united around what God is doing here, none of it matters if we don't have a clear gospel doctrine. This church is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah. We can never waver under any idea that he's one option among many. He really is the one he claimed to be. Either he rose from the grave or he didn't. And if he rose from the grave, it means that confession we make gladly, declaring that God has answered his promises to his people and the Redeemer has actually come. The confession that Jesus is the Messiah is a declaration of the love of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We must have a gospel doctrine here that is unashamed of that truth and builds our very lives on it. And then we see a promise. It says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, are not going to prevail against it. Now, over time, a lot of pastors use that kind of as a battle cry. You kind of fist pump when you say it, like, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church and, you know, bring it on devil and, you know, that kind of idea. And we have to ask ourselves the question, though, if we want to be truthful in how we interpret the scriptures, because context is king here, what does that actually mean? When we see that promise, the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building, what is he actually talking about? Because it just sounds on the surface like a battle cry to withstand the onslaught of hell. But to look a little bit closer, it's a Jewish expression, meaning the realm of the dead. And those same two words appear in Job 38.17 and again in Isaiah 38.10. And in both of those texts of scripture from the Old Testament, those gates of Hades, those gates of hell, really are what we call like a euphemism, a, euph a euphemism for death. That the gates of Hades represents the passageway from this life to the next, from this life to the grave. So the promise in Matthew 16 is not about some spiritual crusade we go on or a fight against the flames of hell. Jesus has already won that but about Christ's guarantee, his stamp of approval, his promise, and his word that the church that he's building will not be destroyed by death. In other words, that it actually is eternal. That makes much more sense if you think about it in the context of scripture with that imagery. That defensive gates can be used on the offense because Jesus is talking about death. And death is something that lurks and it prowls over each one of us. I've heard it said that Western culture is obsessed with delaying death as long as possible. It's almost like that's the goal of many people. But those who confess Jesus as the Christ, we know that death is not the end. It is not the end of the story. It's a comma for the Christian rather than a period. Because we have the victory, the scriptures tell us, through Jesus Christ. 
And he's not asking us to conquer or take over anything, except maybe we could say our fear of death. It's important we don't miss this promise or misunderstand it. Because Jesus guarantees us of something even better than a type of conquest in the present. He promises us eternal life. And with major, we'll be in the book of, the book of Acts since January. We see major opposition, trials, persecution. The church, the first church being formed, the first believers, seem to constantly be under attack from the gates of hell, as in from death itself. But just as Jesus rose from the grave and conquered that, so the gates of Hades will not prevail against those who belong to Christ. Jesus said in John 11, whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. You might say, why this on a vision night? Like this encourages me maybe that these things are true, but why this on a vision night? Well, again, we live in a culture obsessed with avoiding death. And to avoid it, we try everything but what God gave us. Jesus. We try everything, except the only way that actually takes place. And that's not through drinking a new shake or a new, taking a new supplement or getting the first sunlight of the day or taking the cold plunge in the pool or avoiding Diet Coke. Because even if you do those things, you're probably going to outlive the rest of us by about five years. Congratulations. We try everything but the one who actually allows us to avoid death forever. And his name is Jesus Christ. In other words, look at what we have to offer to Tallahassee. Look at what for 16 years the Lord in his grace has allowed us to offer to Tallahassee. What do we offer? We offer life. Life in Christ. I mean, look at what we have a chance to invest in that actually has a return of infinity that goes on forever, that death can't even stop what Jesus is building. Because everything else in life, it really does have a shelf life. Everything. Everything has a shelf life. But we are here in local churches, trying to live for Jesus and make his name known, built on the shoulders of people through generations of Christianity whose names we don't even know. Because they invested their lives and their time and their resources and their prayers into life, into something the gates of Hades could not prevail against. Now, something that definitely has a shelf life if not preserved, is the faith. Jesus said the church will not be conquered by death. But Christianity and passing on the faith sadly gets conquered by death regularly when it comes to generational, individual, nuclear families. Where a Christianity is lived apart from the church. And it totally works, and I big air quotes here, it totally works for that one generation. Like people stay strong, they say their prayers, they have their own little kind of home Bible church thing, 
you know, they have Christian values. You see, all those kind of things take place. But I have never seen, ever in my life, a repetitive faith that lasts for the next generation when mom and dad said church will not be a priority in our lives. They think it's for them for a while and they fool themselves they're doing okay. Oh, I send my kids to a quasi-Christian school and they have a chapel service once a month. We're good. You know, that kind of idea. But the shelf life is very generational, if not preserved. And it's absolutely tied to the local church. Show me an unchurched Christianity and I will show you a faith that is one generation away from dying. And as I said, the very first time we had a vision night to talk about this vision, we have to say not on our watch. That the next generation is going to be reached by this church because of what we do in Next Generation Ministries, but also because we provide a church that the parents actually want to be a part of and bring their kids. And that cycle repeats for generations and generations. We are investing in life that we're told death cannot defeat. And life has been happening here. Sarah and Alex gave you an update. And you have eyes to see as you look around every week. This past year, since Let's Go was launched, has been incredible. Incredible. Here's what's funny. Just think about this for a minute. Humor yourselves here. We've been asking for money, and our church grew. Think about that for a minute. It's like, what's the one thing you, that people don't like you talk about at church? The thing Jesus said our hearts are tied to. So what have we seen? Jesus do a work on people's hearts. And we've seen a heart for Christ from the members of this church. They don't run away when we say it takes this to fuel the mission of God around the world. It always has. This is not new. When the church first formed, Barnabas sold his field and gave it to the church because he believed in the resurrection. So life has been happening here, and we thank God for it. This past year has been probably the greatest year we've ever had as a church. I don't mean just because a lot of people are coming. I mean every single aspect of it, from what's happening in our groups to what's happening in our college ministry, our middle school and high school, what's happening in City Church Kids, mission trips that are taking place to this church. It's been amazing. We were told by all the experts, and, not, and by we I mean pastors, that church would be changed forever after COVID. That church would never be the same again. That people would get used to watching online and they just wouldn't want to ever come anymore and be a part of it. So you had to rethink everything that you did. Well, I don't think those people meant by change that we'd have the best year of church we've ever had. Why? Because God's building his church. He's building his church. So my big ask for all of us is to invest in life. Like, invest in life. Jesus said he came to give us life and to have it abundantly. And where is that best expressed? It's expressed through local congregations that he is building. Something happens during, we live in a government town, a political town, and something happens during political campaigns for president. And that is you'll have like 87 candidates in the primary, it feels like. You'll have a debate and like you can get three words in and then you get to basically have a rehearsed speech rather than a debate. You know that works during televised debates. There's all these candidates. And then you go to Iowa and you go to New Hampshire 
and you go to South Carolina, which are usually kind of the first three or so, and something happens after South Carolina if you're not winning or in the top two or three. All of a sudden, you drop out of the race. Now, why would you drop out of the race when there's 47 other states to go? Why? Maybe you can turn it around. You know why? Because your fundraisers go away. Because your campaign has no life. Because it lost. So then there's two people left. There's one person left towards the end. When you see sports and funding college sports, two things in this town, politics and sports, right? are kind of the two main drivers of Tallahassee life, it seems like. What happens when the team is losing? The main booster people get really nervous because people stop giving. They stop giving. They withhold their money because the team stinks. What happens when the team starts winning? Did you know the economy in Tallahassee is dependent upon Florida State's success? Isn't that wild? Like restaurants, hotels, like it's, it's different when Florida State's winning. And all of a sudden, there's money coming in from people. Why? Because the team isn't dead. The team is alive. Well, we're not donors, and we're not boosters as a local church. You know what we are? We're the church. We're not boosters or donors. We're members of what Christ is building. We are people with the keys to life. So wouldn't we want to put our lives into something that is eternal and that Jesus says is worth every second of it? Because death cannot prevail against it. Death will prevail against everything else in our world. Except against us. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And since he is alive, he is worth us saying, God, we're going to finish this let's go vision. And we're going to get to the end and keep going to reach Tallahassee, to reach our neighbors, to build a church for the next generation, to not just go, hey, this is great, let's go into cruise control, but to be active and full speed ahead and then hope for generations to come long after we're gone. There's a city church in Tallahassee that's thriving and reaching the next generation and sending missionaries that hopefully your great-grandchildren are a part of. We're people who hold in our hands the keys to life built on a confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's take that news as the church he's building and keep doing it 16 years later and 16 years into the future and 16 years after that from our church for our city and to the world. Thanks for being a part of it.